Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by our Associate Pastor, Paul Kern. Well, we are in part three on our Sermon on the Mount series, so if you want to go to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to dive right into this. We're going to be looking tonight, um, verses 21 through 26, and uh, Jesus' teaching us about anger. It's a, a topic that I think we all have to deal with on a daily occurrence, especially with the roads that are under construction in our area right now. <laughs> wow, Lord help us all. So we're going to look at this tonight. Yep, see, y'all are all trying to sit out there looking all pious, but I know, I know all about it, yes. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Let, we'll just read this together. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder... And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, or that could be idiot, translated idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. Wow. Therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And then Jesus gives us some really sound advice. He says, settle matters quickly when you get angry, right? with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Truly, I tell you, you will not go out until you have paid the very last penny. So let, let's talk about this in this session. We'll, we'll call this, um, for, for the sake of a title, Maintaining Peaceful Relationships. Let's just call it that, because obviously everything that Jesus was discussing here was all relational issues, right? It was all relationally related. So let's just talk about the importance of maintaining peaceful relationships with people. You know, after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God warned mankind that discord would be a part of daily life, discord in relationships. As a matter of fact, God said in Genesis 3.16, and this is especially uh, for all of you married people in the room. He said this, The wife would desire to control her husband, and the husband would desire to dominate his wife. Now, I know none of our married couples in here have dealt with any of that at all in your married life, but that's what the Scripture says would happen. So if you've ever had that feeling come over you, God said that's what's going to happen. So in Genesis, in the beginning of time, this fracture in the foundational union that we have spilt over into Adam and Eve's children. And we know that Cain became very angry with his brother Abel, and he murdered his own brother, literally murdered his own brother. Now, murder, along with other sins, 
was described in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. If you want to go over with me to Galatians chapter 5, there's lots of places that Paul discusses this in the New Testament, but we'll look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Paul talked about uh, what he called deeds of the flesh or acts of the flesh. This is part of our carnal nature, you know, that, that depraved part of who we are, that dark part of who we are. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, the first three right off the bat have to do with sexual sins, okay? And that's obviously the huge one that we see predominant in our country and all cultures. And it's something that all of us have to fight and resist on a week-by-week basis. So he starts out with these three. And debauchery, that means like indulging in fleshly appetites. It's not just sexual sins, but that could be anything that has to do with your just selfish fleshly appetites in your life. Then he says idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we're talking about living in the kingdom of God this year in our church. That's our mission that we're trying to get into the hearts of all of us. And the sad part is, when you look at this, Paul taught on anger, discord, fits of rage, dissensions, factions. They're all a part of our sinful nature, sadly. And we're all prone toward any of these things. I mean, I wished we weren't. I certainly wished I didn't have to deal with anger. I don't know about you, but we all have to deal with it. And this is why Jesus is teaching us on the importance of maintaining peaceful relationships with one another. Jesus reveals that the ultimate failure in relationships is murder. That's the ultimate failure. In other words, that means that you have failed at navigating relationships when you take it to the extreme of murdering someone. And obviously, you know, we've got television shows, forensic files, and so forth and so on. It just, you know, all of these shows are all about people who allowed their anger or their jealousy or whatever to overcome them in their relationships, and it resulted in the ultimate failure of relationships is murder. But then Jesus moves to the heart of the matter, which is motive, right? And this is where Jesus begins to teach us. So in this session, we're going to learn some principles here about maintaining peaceful relationships. So for those of you that are taking notes, principle number one is you have to guard your heart from evil thoughts. Number one, guard your heart from evil thoughts. Look at verse 21. Now, Jesus started out by saying, you have heard that it was said, okay? He goes on to say, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not referring specifically to the sixth commandment. That's not really his intention here. He's referring to the common misinterpretation that the Jewish people had about the sixth commandment. And they had a misunderstanding about this commandment. 
See, this is actually the first of six misrepresentations that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. There's several that he has to cover. Now, we got to kind of have the mentality of the Jewish people because the Jewish people, they operated off of legalism, right? They believed if they followed the law externally, then they would be okay with God. But what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking everything that, that they were taught by the law about obs- external observances, and he's pointing them toward heart motive, okay? Because this is what Jesus does best. So when interpreting the Sixth Commandment, the Pharisees and the scribes taught that as long as you don't murder somebody, you are obeying the law of God perfectly, I didn't murder anybody today. I'm doing what God said to do, and I'm right with God. And this really made people feel holy, and it made people feel very prideful because I didn't murder anybody. I could have murdered you. I had every reason to murder you by how you acted, but I didn't murder you. So, you know, God pat me on the back. I'm a good guy. I didn't murder anybody today. I did what you said. But the problem with this approach was its misunderstanding that they had of the Old Testament law. They just totally didn't get it. Now, when the law was properly interpreted, it really didn't focus on outward things. And this was the issue that God had with his people all along. Now, we can backtrack and we can say, you know, God sent prophets, and one of the things they said was, you know, your sacrifices, your burnt offerings, these things don't please me. I don't like this. I, don't, I want you to worship me from the heart. And God even said, those who worship me must worship me in what? In spirit and truth, from the heart, right? In spirit and truth, from the heart. And so when, when we look at this interpretation he wasn't just focusing on outward observances. Jesus taught all the Old Testament laws could be summarized in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. He said all of the Old Testament law could be summed up in these two commandments. So the Old Testament laws did not just prohibit or command certain actions, they also prohibited and commanded certain heart motives. But this is what they didn't get. Because the fact of the matter is, it's easier for me to to feel good about myself and to say, well, I didn't murder anybody today, I did good, than it is for me to have to look inside myself and say, I've got a real anger issue with this person. You know, and I really need to forgive them, and I'm unwilling to forgive them. Well, I don't have to forgive them. That's not what God told me to do. God just said, make sure I don't kill them. <laughs> right? But, but <laughs> this isn't what Jesus is saying. So let's, let's play out this scenario. If a person plans to murder someone, but at the last moment, they don't murder them because of the fear of consequences, but that would be one good one, right? The fear of going to prison and being put in the electric chair, Is that person still just before God? Well, the answer is no. They're not just before God because God wants righteousness not just on the outside, but God wants righteousness on the inside, okay? And this is is what we're going to be looking at. 
So Jesus taught that the absence of committing physical murder did not by itself protect a person from God's judgment. But that's what they thought. They thought, well, I didn't murder somebody. I'm protected from God's judgment. But that wasn't true because Jesus said in verse 21, if a person was angry at another person, he would be subject to what? Judgment. Okay, so now we've got to deal with our heart. Now we've got to deal with our motives and our intentions. And this is obviously where Jesus was wanting to take them. So verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So the same word for judgment is used in verse 21 and in verse 22. And it is, it's not referring, though, to the same judgment. It's two different judgments. So in ancient Israel, and even in our country today, if a person committed murder, well, in certain states, if a, if a person committed murder, he would be tried by a human court, right? Just like today in our country, if a person commits murder, they're going to be tried by a human court. And the judgment for manslaughter was capital punishment. And in many states, we still have capital punishment for people who are, commit manslaughter, commit murder. However, the second judgment that Jesus is referring to was referring to God's judgment of us. So if you murder someone, you're going to answer to two different judgments. One, you're going to answer to man's judgment, and two, you're going to answer to God's judgment. Well, Jesus is going to carry this over into anger. He's, he says, okay, so not only are you going to cause issues and have problems in the natural with people, you're also going to have problems with me in the spirit. And, and so this is what we're going to be looking at here. So it's clear since no human court can condemn a person for evil motives without a corresponding act, we don't, you know, I don't know how many of y'all saw the movie Minority Report, Tom Cruise, great movie. So basically what it was, was they had a, what's called a pre-crime uh, place within the police department. It was called pre-crimes. And so they had an ability to see into the future, and they would see people who were going to commit murder. And before they ever did it, they would go arrest them and put them in prison, even though they didn't actually murder them. They saw into the future, and they saw that they were going to murder them. And so they put them into prison. <laughs> now... Wow, okay. So as we look at this, we don't have courts that condemn people for evil motives without a corresponding act. You're only going to go to prison if you actually go through with the thought, right? And you carry it out. But God sees our heart and God will judge us for anger. The courts won't, but God will. So anger doesn't have the same consequences as murder. Obviously it doesn't. But God sees it as murder because those thoughts in our heart are what we will call the seed of murder. Now, you guys remember, God had a conversation with Cain. He said, hey, bro, sin's crouching at the door. I, you, I don't know why your countenance is so down. 
But obviously you're upset with your brother and you better get a hold of what you're thinking in your heart because if you don't, sin's going to get you. And Cain didn't listen and he did the unspeakable and he, that seed that he didn't address in his heart produced fruit, right? And this is what's so important to God because God sees our heart. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, it says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Wow. Now, this is, this is tough to read. Now, 1 John's pretty tough to read anyway. I mean, it's kind of like reading James. They neither one of them mess around. They just get right to business. They call out your dirty laundry real easy. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, this year we're, we're ministering on the kingdom of God, and the Bible talks a lot. You know, I know Pastor Tim, our lead pastor, he spoke on here, I think, the Sunday before last, um, and he, he, he mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it talks about all of these uh, fleshly things that people do, and it says, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we know where the kingdom of God is. Where is the kingdom of God? It's within us. So the kingdom of God can't reside and be alive in us if we're full of anger. It'll choke out the life of the kingdom of God. You, you can't have peace and dissension together. They're like oil and water. They don't mix, right? So, so Jesus is wanting us to experience the abundant life. He's wanting us to walk in the freedom that God has designed us to walk in. But he's saying, look, you can't have anger in your heart and experience the kingdom of God within you. It, it won't work. So... Just like I said, God warned Cain to master his heart so that he wouldn't murder his brother. We have to master our hearts so that we don't murder our brothers and sisters with our motives. Amen? Now, I knew I was like, this is like Pastor Tim. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens <laughs> out of this because it's not easy. It's hard for all of us. We all have to deal with becoming angry. So, so... As we look at Paul talking about this, one thing I think that you can do when you become angry, because, you know, the Bible talks about a righteous anger and the Bible talks about an unrighteous anger. The, the scripture covers both. You, you, you can have one or the other, okay? So... We have to ask ourselves, okay, when we become angry, is this a righteous anger or this is, a, is this an unrighteous anger? Well, how do you know whether it's a righteous anger or an unrighteous anger? Because the scripture does teach that there is a righteous anger. As a matter of fact, there's lots of scriptures, but I'll just name one of them. Psalms chapter 7 uh, verse 11 says, God is a just judge. He is angry throughout the day. I don't know if y'all have ever even noticed that scripture. I, as I was doing this study, that popped up, and I was like, wow, God's angry throughout the day. Well, what's God angry about? Is God angry at me? Well, no. The Bible makes it clear that God's not angry at me, but God is angry at sin, and God is angry at unrighteousness. 
okay? So you, you guys recall Jesus flipping the tables in the temple? You know Jesus premeditated and made a whip before he ever went in there? Premeditated. He, he was planning all along to some people. I mean, he knew what he was going to do. He didn't get in there and, and then in a, in a fit of rage, okay, find a whip and grab it and start whipping people and throwing chairs. No, this was all predetermined. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And Jesus went in there with a righteous anger because he saw that people were being cheated and God was being dishonored. So, a righteous anger is when people are being cheated and God is being dishonored. That's, that's what you call righteous anger. So, can a Christian have righteous anger? Absolutely. When people are being cheated and when God is being dishonored, the Bible says that kind of anger is a righteous anger. Now, Jesus also called the Pharisees serpents. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs because of their false teachings and their evil hearts. So Jesus cannot be excluding anger in all cases, just certain cases. So what's the difference between righteous and unrighteous? Well, we know what righteous anger is, so what is unrighteous anger? Well, unrighteous anger is concerned with only your personal injustice. See, unrighteous anger, we make it all about us and who wronged us. Somebody hurt me, somebody offended me, and I want revenge. I want this to be taken care of, okay? I want to get even with them. Only Jesus perfectly demonstrated God's righteous anger. So, for example, with Jesus, when others were mistreated, Jesus was as angry as a lion. I'm talking about a hungry lion. I mean, he was dangerous. But when Jesus himself was mistreated, he was as gentle as a lamb. Remember when Jesus was being whipped and spit on and cursed? What did he say? Zero. Not one word. He didn't utter a word out of his mouth. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, this is what Peter said about how Jesus responded to personal offense. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. That's our goal. That's our goal. That's my goal every day when the furnace of my heart starts getting hot, right? And you know, the thing about anger is it really makes you stupid. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this or not, and I'm not 100% sure if it's true, but I think a lot of studies have been done on this, but I have heard it said that your IQ drops 50% when you become angry. And that only makes sense because, you know, when you get angry, you break things. Like, your video game controller. I can't tell you the number of young men that got mad playing video games and threw their Xbox or their PlayStation controller across the room and broke it. Or they got their cell phone out. You know, I've had experiences with some young adults 
where they got so mad they threw their cell phone up against the wall or threw it on the roof. Now, that's intelligent, right? I mean, when we see people become very angry, when they get extremely angry, you know what they do? They go in schools and they kill innocent children. And it's terrible because it creates so much heartache. See, anger is destructive. Anger is a very dangerous, dangerous thing. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we become angry, and I didn't say if you become angry, I said when you do, because for some of us it's a daily thing that we have to battle. Am I angry because others are being hurt and God is being dishonored? Or is this anger just about me and my personal offense? That's what we have to ask ourselves when we are dealing with anger. And to keep ourselves from anger, the Bible says that we have to resist the devil and submit to God. That's the only way that I can win over my anger. I literally have to... I don't know about y'all if you've ever done this, but, but I have literally done this many, many times. The moment that I'm in anger, I've had to get down on my knees and ask God to forgive me right in that moment. Because if I don't, I'll feed that thing. I mean, I'll just stoke it. I'll throw more wood on it, and it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I know that that is not what I want to have happen in my life. So to keep ourselves from anger, we have to resist the devil and we have to resist the accusations that the devil brings. Because what the devil will do is the devil will bring accusations to us about the person who offended us. They'll start accusing that person, the enemy, he'll start accusing that person of many things and try to get us to come in agreement with those accusations. As a matter of fact, the title devil literally means accuser. That's what it means, or slanderer. And this is often what Satan does in our hearts. He shoots arrows of suspicion in our hearts toward people. You know, I know for many, many years, I lived very, very angry toward my father. I, I literally, for so many years of my life, I cut myself completely off from having any relationship with my father because I was so bitter and I was so angry toward him for the injustices that I felt like he had done to me when I was growing up as a young man. And the, the, the sad part about all of that is, is it hurt me way more than it hurt him. Because I'm the one lying in bed at night, stressed out, upset, can't sleep. I'm the one that was drinking all the alcohol. I'm the one that was doing all the drugs. I'm the one that was doing everything that I could to try to find some type of external peace. And I just didn't realize that that anger was absolutely driving out any chance of the kingdom of God being in my heart. It was just removing it from me at every moment of the day. So when we see this, we have to recognize what the devil is doing. See, when we, were, when we react wrong, when we repeat bad experiences, when we repeat evil words over and over and over again in our hearts and our minds about someone, and it could be a parent that did, did you wrong, it could be a sibling that did you wrong, it could be... Uh, one of your own children that did you wrong or a co-worker that betrayed you and stole your business. I don't know what it could have been. 
But this is why we not only have to repent, but we also have to resist the devil through prayer and God's Word, both of those. And so that leads us to the second principle that I want to make sure that we get is we have to guard our tongue from evil speech. Because what we often want to do is when we are hurt or offended by someone, we want to malign them. And we do that by talking about them. Look at what Jesus says, 522. But I say if you're even angry with someone, you're subjected to judgment. If you call somebody names, let's just, let, or curse somebody, right? I'm going to get caught up on all the different terms. But Jesus said, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus says that not only will a wrong heart motives be judged by God, but also wrong speech will be judged by God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we will be judged for every idle word that comes out of our mouths. And so I'm often asking God to forgive me of idle words that come out, out of my mouth. And God, you know, I don't want to be judged by those words. So anger is not only the seed of murder, but it's also the seed of slander and cursings coming out of our mouths. You know, okay, so back in my unsaved days, when I, begot, when I got really angry at somebody... Buddy, I could make a sailor turn red. I mean, literally, with what came out of my mouth. I just, I could let the words fly. Now, now today, I don't say those words nearly as much as I used to, okay? Y'all were like, mm-hmm. Nearly as much as I used to because there's been such a transformation inside of me. But here's the thing. The more that I have my time with Jesus, the more that I have my time in the Word, and the more that I have my time in prayer, the way less tempted I am to talk about my brothers and sisters and other people in Christ. See, anger is not just a seed of murder, but it's a seed of wrong words coming out of our mouth. And slander and cursings, they always come before a murderous act. I can promise you Cain was saying a lot of really bad things about his brother Abel before he killed his brother Abel. He, he built a case against him, not just in his heart, but also with his words. So two people are angry at one another. And as a result of that anger, and if it's just left to run its course, then there is going to be a verbal altercation, Right? How many of y'all have ever watched a video or seen people? I mean, road rage is a great example of this, right? I mean, just kind of cringy. It just makes you want to, some of those videos I watch, I just have to turn it off. It's like, oh, I can't watch it. I can't believe they're about to do this. You know, so there's a verbal altercation, and then a fight ensues, buddy. Fists start flying. People are mad. People start getting hurt. Now, Jesus wants us to understand God takes cursing and slandering other people very seriously. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Why? Well, if you're going to have peaceful relationships with people, if you're going to experience the abundant life that Jesus died for us to have, then we're going to have to exercise this commandment in our life, in other words, it isn't going to happen. So it's, it's so important, if we want to have peaceful relationships, we're going to have to keep our mouth shut. 
And there's been many times that I've thought about saying something, and I didn't. I love what Pastor Tim talks about on our Sunday mornings. You can need to and not. And he says that all the time about, you know, our young people. Well, I need to go to the bathroom. Well, you know, I, you know, when you're a kid, you need to go to the bathroom. But when you get older, you need to go to the bathroom a whole lot more often too. And you can need to and not. But you can need to and not say something. I need to say something and then not say it. I mean, it's just, see, our words have the power to bring peace and life and joy or our words have the power to bring destruction and death. So we have to recognize a couple of things about anger, about evil in our hearts, about words that come out of our mouths toward our brothers and sisters and, and, and people that we deal with every day. I think one thing that we have to recognize is anger clearly, according to Scripture, hinders our relationship with God. The Bible talks about this. Look at verse 23 and 24 of Matthew. Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus makes it plain. For you to have a right relation with God in the spirit, you're going to have to have right relationships with men in the flesh, with people in the flesh. That's the only way that you can have a right relationship with God. As a matter of fact, back to 1 John, which I recommend reading 1 John. It's great. It's good stuff. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar, because the one who does not love his fellow Christian, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen seen. So holding on unto unforgiveness means that God won't forgive us. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive. Well, that kind of is a motivation for forgiving because how many of y'all want God to forgive you? I know I do. I want God to forgive me. So if I want God to forgive me, then God expects me to forgive others. I cannot expect God's forgiveness in my life over things that I've done if I am unwilling to forgive people in my life. So holding on to unforgiveness means that God won't forgive our sins, and it's very clear. And the Scripture also says it makes our prayers ineffective at our time at the altar, and I think that's why Jesus said, hey, listen, you know, Sunday morning when you're in church and you're down at the altar and you've got something going on in your heart and I remember back when I became a student at Applied Life Leaders Academy in my early 20s and I came to the altar and the Holy Spirit convicted me so deeply he said you are faking what you're doing down here because you are not right with your with your earthly father you are going to have to get that right you can't be down here acting like you're doing business with me and you're not right with your earthly father and I had to make it my mission, and it was hard, and there were a lot of tears, and it was very difficult, but I made it my mission to get right with my father, to win my father, and the church, the fact of the matter is, you know, and I tell young people this all the time, how do you know that God didn't birth you to that parent for such a time as this? For God to use you to be the one that could lead them to Christ. And so I had to be willing to humble myself before the Lord, 
leave that altar, go make things right with my dad. And I'm so glad that I did because it was a catalyst that opened the door for my siblings to begin to get their life right with my father. And it was a catalyst for my dad Four years later, after I began rebuilding a relationship with him, my dad got saved, and when he died, he went to heaven. So praise God. I mean, you know, that's the kingdom of heaven. But it never would have happened had I not been willing to swallow my pride, and I think that's something, obviously, that we have to do. You know, we have to swallow our pride. So if we really want a right relationship with God and God's blessings, then we have to really work at maintaining peaceful relationships with people in our lives. Another thing that Jesus said, look at verse 25. Just the very first part of that, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. And I think we need to make every effort with no delay to reconcile ourselves in relationships with a brother or a sister in Christ, with our mate, with our children, with a coworker, you know, whoever it may be, you know, the Bible talks about not letting the sun go down on your wrath, and, and you need to do everything that you can. Now, I, I, I wish I could stand up and say, I've never gone to bed mad. I can't say that I've gone to bed mad, and I, I've had to ask God to forgive me, and I'm just going to be real. But I make every effort to make sure that I don't go to bed mad. I do everything that I can to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. Why? Well, because I want to be right with God. The Scripture says that we will come under God's discipline when we act this way. And, and sadly, and we've all seen it, discord between, you know, friends and relatives and coworkers. I've watched people stay angry and bitter toward people for years, for years and years and years. They just will not let it go. And, and when this happens... There are great consequences to the unforgiving party. And I know because <laughs> I was a poster child for what not to do when it came to being angry with uh, my parents. I was angry at my mother and my father. I was angry that my mother allowed it to happen, and I was angry that my father did it. So I was angry at both of them for many, many years. And the hurt and the deepening of strongholds and the loss of joy and my connection with both of them was hurt because of the fire that I just had to keep stoking because I felt like I had been wronged instead of just recognizing, you know what, we're all wrong. We're all born sinful. We all have a dark heart. We all need forgiveness. Amen. We all got to let it go. You got to let it go. And if you're here listening, or if you're listening by podcast or by live stream, I want to encourage you, whatever unforgiveness you have in your life, let it go, let it go, let it go. Humble yourselves. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you. And then do whatever you need to do to make things right with the other party. You know, the longer we delay the more opportunities we make for Satan to attack us, the bottom line. When we allow that to go on in relationships for a long period of time, it just creates a greater distance between us and God and us and the person that we're upset with. So we should humble ourselves. We need to ask God for his forgiveness. The Bible says we should not return 
evil for evil. It says that we should return good for evil. Now, I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. But I know somebody who is, and he lives in my heart. And so I was able to return good for the evil that my dad committed against me. And what, what the devil meant for my destruction, God turned for my good, and not only my good, but my family's good and my father's good. And ultimately, you know, my dad having that experience with Christ and humbling himself, you know, it influenced a lot of other people in his life. So it's just a, it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Now, let me say this. You can't make another person forgive you. I wished you could. I wished I could. I have uh, a family member right now who's walking in unforgiveness toward me. And once again, I, I'm just going to be real with you. I wish all my family members loved me. I don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, who wouldn't love me? I mean, it makes no sense to me. But anyway, I have a family member that doesn't, doesn't think I'm the greatest ever. And I have done my part to make amends. I can't make them do it. So all I can do is, in the meantime, I pray, I ask God to move, and I make sure that I don't let any root of bitterness make its way into my heart, into my thoughts, or into my words in my life. Can I have an amen? So we got to be patient with each other. We got to be patient as we pray and trust God. But I think that if we will be obedient to Christ and his commands, life's going to run a lot smoother for us. You know, Tim and I were talking about this today, and I'll close with this. God has a way that life works best. He just does. And the older that I get, and the more I read the Bible, the more clearly I see. Now, Jesus never promised us a life without trouble. As a matter of fact, he told us we were going to have troubles. But you know what? There's a lot of troubles that we create for ourselves because we don't do what he says. And this is why we're trying to make sure, as we're talking about the kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount, that if we will be obedient and we will do what the Bible says, then I can tell you this, you won't have a life free of any trouble, but you will have a life free of a lot of unnecessary troubles that you don't need. As a matter of fact, the Bible says today has enough troubles of its own. Why, why would we want to go adding to that? I want to do everything. We want to do everything that we can to have peaceful relationships with other people. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, tonight we, just, we ask that you help us, God. Help us to forgive. Help us to let it go. Help us to know, Lord, that that is your heart. God, give us the power that we need to be courageous, to humble ourselves, to lay down our pride, and to forgive so that we can walk in the freedom that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the CMC Podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.